0: Welcome to Stageworthy. I'm Phil Rickaby, the host of this podcast. This is episode 334. This week on the podcast, I will be talking to Dr. Kathleen Gallagher and Andrew Kushner about their book, Hope in a Collapsing World, Youth Theater and Listening as a Political Alternative, about the use of theater by students to create work that communicates the dreams and worries for their future. Here's our conversation. I'm really curious ab- about this project and how how the book came about and how like let why why don't we start with like what is the hope what is hope in a collapsing world?
1: I'll jump in, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Hope in a collapsing world is a title that represents a world of hmm. entanglements. With artists and teachers and young people and researchers, social workers who had, who, who put in the foreground theater as a way to investigate what it is we care about and the nature of hope in these times. That would be, I think, for me, its most concise description.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding, um, you know, and it depends on the day, it depends on the world. But, mm. you know, these days what I what I take from it actually is is something that Kathleen has given her life to, which is approaching young people as teachers, mm. you know, and what their capacities are to uh, to dislodge us from our tightly held narratives and to show us different ways of thinking about the world. And uh, and Kathleen has Invested in drama, the drama classroom, as a site for that hope to play out. And uh, that's what's within these pages for me. And uh, it's been a real touchstone, even even in recent weeks and months, as the world gets mm. more and more complicated, uh, mm. as it falls in on itself more and more.
0: I'm curious about the idea of of, of theatre as social uh, investigation as social, uh, uh, like making social statements and things like that for students. Is this a new idea for them? Is this something that, that is a new introduction? Cause when I was younger, I thought about theater and this sort of thing as just, just a fun thing or, mm-hmm. you know, to be entertaining. Um, is, is the introduction of, of the social aspect, uh, something new for them and do they have trouble or, Uh, grasping it?
1: That's a great question, Phil. You know, I think the evolution of what goes on in drama classrooms in the name of theater has evolved so much and over many years now. And I think that young people in drama classrooms already know that they are, that their symbolic world is a world that's so deeply in touch with the real one that they live in. So if we If we bring those thoughts together in some explicit way, I don't see them as surprised because I think part of the, you know, the secret investment that young people have in a drama classroom is that it's all about them and it doesn't need to be all about them at the same time. So it's a way of, uh, playing and acting, conceiving, imagining other ways of being that are so embedded in the things that we care about and have experienced in our lives. So I feel like those things are not always explicitly drawn, but in most spaces that I've been in, I feel that young people have, there's a kind of urgency for them to explore with metaphor and collaboratively with others things that matter profoundly to them in their lives. So if we happen to come in and say, hey, the research we do um, thinks these things are really intimately connected. What about you? Mm. I I never find young people saying, oh, that's so strange. That's not Mm. how I think about it at all. So maybe it hasn't been explicitly drawn for them, but Mm. um, they operate as though they and the world is at stake in what they do.
0: Well, I mean- it is, you know, as a, as a, as a, as somebody who's, you know, uh, an older, I'm on the older end of the spectrum now. Um, it's becoming more and more uh, necessary that we understand that they are the ones that that are going to inherit this mess that we're creating, um, and they have to find ways to tell us about it. If if standing up and if 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 Greta Thunberg uh, standing up and talking about it can't sh- can't rattle people and make change, m- maybe creating an entertainment can.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You're making me think of uh, it's. It comes up in the play, but um, in Kathleen's culminating reflection in Towards Youth, which is the script embedded in in the book, um, m- Marjorie Douglas. Uh, oh there's a Stoneman in there, is it Marjorie Stoneman yeah. Douglas high school yeah. mm-hmm. um, is invoked because it was indeed the drama kids uh, right. after that shooting that were the, the extraordinary storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they really captured the imagination of a nation and, mm-hmm. uh, and were the leads, it, you know, that, that the, the sort of um, gun restriction or gun safety movement is not a new movement, but they were able to, take the lead, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, again, I, it always comes back to me to that notion of if a young person's life can be, can be the curriculum, which is the potential of the drama classroom, you're opening them up to all kinds of capacities and, um, uh, you know, breadth of voice and, uh, and, and a sense of being able to change the world to imagine Mm -hmm. a different world, but also change that world. Um, that's what you rehearse. In yeah. those drama classrooms, when you've got a teacher that makes space for it, um, you know, it's it's about elaboration, it's about collaboration, and and it is about uh, revising, you know, the, the, the culminating word of the play is adjust, mm. you know, we learn how to adjust in the drama classroom for all of its chaos <clears throat> and, mm. you know, all of its play and all of its differences, the clashing of differences, the meeting of differences. If we can learn how to adjust, I think it just makes us better citizens. Yeah. and uh, and you know we see that in young people emerging from that from that pedagogy. I
0: think there there's there's something about um i am I, I remember my time in theater school, in theater classes when I was in high school. And you mentioned, you know if the if the teacher is is open to it, um, I think that is for many students the challenge. I think that that when I was in in high school, when if I had the opportunity to to create something that really spoke to what we were we were doing or what we were experiencing, that would have been exciting, rather than um, you know having to to do scenes from plays that that the teacher selected. <laughs>
2: Is it there can be, it can be both, you know? I yeah. think, yeah, well, so, so I see it as, as both are legitimate, and and you know, a tension that we discovered in the research, uh, at the site in, in Athens, in particular, was mm-hmm. a tension between a teacher that was more committed to uh, pleasure and play, and fantasy, and games, and escape in the drama space, mm-hmm. uh, and that being a point of uh, you know, that was challenging in terms of some of the research and some of the uh opportunities we were seeing around you know speaking into uh these young people's experiences receiving their experiences um but that tension is is not only is it real it's legitimate and I Mm. think the space can be both of those things um I think it's when we force it to be one or the other in in strict terms that we miss out on what what the space can do um and yeah
1: sorry Andrew I was just going to build upon that and and what you said previously because I agree with you and and Actually, I've there are these divides all over the world in theater and also in the study of theater, and I have I have managed to um, not enter into the the that kind of binary thinking over many years, and it and it takes some effort to not do that. But I think what again, it's the drama classroom that made that abundantly clear for me. Two, Two things that I would say is what people often say, and maybe Phil, you had this experience too, as a drama student, you know, people are always ready to talk about confidence that, that drama students gain confidence because of the work that they might do in a drama classroom. And, and this study taught me that it's something slightly different from that. It's not exactly confidence. It's, it's what I end up calling security. Hmm. And, the secure, uh, you do, to, to feel secure in one's place is very different from feeling confident because security is, is by its nature a relational experience. And so if you're doing Mama Mia or you're doing a deep investigation of complex, um, difficult experiences in young people's lives, whichever of those you're doing, what young people figure out very quickly is that they are key players in the lives and the journeys of other people. Mm-hmm. Whether that's standing on stage singing in a musical or doing some other uh, mm. different kind of investigation. And once they realize the critical role they're playing in others' lives, that whole idea of confidence becomes a more shared reality. And so mm-hmm. we can make the space secure no matter what the work is because we're we' we're, we're we're leaning into the relationality of all of this and that I think is to me it's unfortunate that um the the ways in which drama has often been articulated really leans on those more individual ideas of uh, of confidence and singularity mm. instead of what I think we saw play out in so many different places which, was indeed the roles that not not only young people feeling more secure in their own work and in their own lives, but understanding um, how that stood in relationship, that they were secondary characters in a whole lot of other lives, and that that um, was part of how you collaborate, part of how you create space together. And you can imagine in the different cultural contexts in which we we researched, the expression of that can look vastly different. But that singular thing remained true, hmm. that we, we rise and we fall together. And it, it doesn't mean that it always ends in victory. It often ends in failure. But even in that experience, the lessons gleaned about what it means to, to be in a supporting role in someone hmm. else's life is profound for many young people.
0: It's it, it's a fascinating idea. The, the 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 difference between confidence, which I think the idea of instilling confidence in students is often how theater class is justified to parents. Yeah, that's that's how we how we convince the the PTA or this the powers that be the school board that this is what makes this program necessary. Mm-hmm. Or useful and which. <laughs> Which sort of yeah, useful, and it, it it sort of falls into the puritanical view that in North America we have about theater mm-hmm. and its its purpose and its use.
2: Yeah, that it's about building those soft skills so mm-hmm. that you can be a great businessman, right. or you can mm-hmm. you know uh, go into politics or law, or you know, mm-hmm. I, it's something that I contended with. Uh, you know, I, I my parents are first generation ukrainian canadians it was inconceivable for me to go into the arts mm. um they i think they were really hopeful that drama was just kind of something to add to my toolkit um mm. and and i decided no 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 it's the thing <laughs> the okay. circus is the thing <laughs> um and so you know I, I think you're spot on phil that there is this this and it's i mean what we're talking about is capitalism we're talking about you know uh, a, a system that we're supposed to slot ourselves into Um, that, that a life in the arts is not necessarily legitimate, that Mm. that these are again, um, things that are, are good for us, but ultimately we need to do more serious work. And Mm -hmm. I think, I hope we're learning, you know, as we, I know we're still in this pandemic era, but I I do hope we can see that the arts are actually not just a means to an end, that, uh, indeed it is about sustaining, maintaining, uh, healing our humanity, um, it is essential work in its way. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope that there is um, a shifting narrative around that. You know, I certainly feel like this research in particular would point to a deep complexity about what the arts are offering young people at this time.
1: Yeah. And I, I think as well, that especially in these most divided times I mean, f- for so many reasons now that the, the social contract is under serious threat. And I, I feel like in a, in a drama classroom, uh, people aren't consuming each other's stories. They're r- receiving each, other, each other's stories and recognizing what the differences are in a long conversation, not mm. in political uh, slogans uh, not in easily divided ideas, but that uh, that difference, that space between where you stand and what where I stand, is part of what the contract is for how we're both in this space. And I, I don't I don't know many other spaces in a school curriculum where that most needed skill, if you like, or or just not even skill, but way of being in the world, particularly the world at this time. Is more rigor- rigorously explored. Hmm.
0: I can't think of one either because I think that it, it's the it's the uniqueness of 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 that room of the of what is essentially a theater workshop space that that gives the people in it the freedom to to explore and to build and to to essentially have difficult conversations
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a way that that like you said, outside of that room, we are terrible at having those conversations. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah.
0: You know, sometimes
1: we're terrible at having them in that room. And as Andrew suggested, (laughs) like leadership and pedagogy is so Mm. critical. Mm. Um, And I think uh, that's, that's a lifelong work as well, but the possibility is always there. Mm. And I, I think you know even when it breaks down there's the time and the space and the commitment to understanding what went wrong how it went wrong what was at stake who was invested in what um not just to pick apart you know uh, but but instead to say we, we know what a real collaboration or a shared purpose looks and feels like because we've had this small success or this um, not so terrible outcome. And then we had this experience and what, what intervened to make that less than ideal experience um, surface. Hmm. And my God, when I think about any kind of workplace, wouldn't it be incredible if we all could bring that kind of critical consciousness to these Difficult, both domestic and professional worlds that we have to navigate uh, to really stay in the trouble, to really stay with what doesn't go so well. And I think you know the drama classroom is extraordinary for that sense of persistence, even when things are coming off the rails.
0: I think. I mean, the the interesting thing is that I think when I was in theater, when I sorry when I was in high school, my being in rehearsal for a show or for like a class um, was the first time that I felt something go off the rail in, in rehearsal and then to sort of have a, have the teacher come over and say, you realize that's part of this process (laughs) is we can have things go off the rails and then we can bring them back. Um, And it's up to you to figure out how to do that. I can help and your director can help, but part of the process, these things sometimes happen. What an important lesson that we didn't often get.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That we survive mistakes yeah. you mm-hmm. know? and that, that there's something outside of this competitive world around us and, yeah. uh, this judgment filled world around us. Um, I think that's the huge gift of the drama classroom is that for all the mistakes there, it doesn't equate to failure. You know, and indeed, as Kathleen pointed out, there's always something, there's always some kind of, you know, uh, let's call it a win or Mm. or a a gleaning Mm -hmm. that occurs when you realize that you are consequential to others, which Mm. is what happens in the drama classroom. When you realize that um, you have more of a voice than a lot of other classrooms Mm. in the building, Um, when you're suddenly in a circle, you know, the power of actually being accountable to one another in a way that isn't desks all facing one direction, looking mm. at a chalkboard. Um, they're, they're just huge lessons to learn in that space. And of course we learn through error. We learn mm. through things not going well. Um, there's this Dorothy Heathcote quote in the play, and I inherit this from Kathleen. And uh, the original quote is, you know, drama is a man in a mess. And the mess is is, that's where we grow from. We grow from that. And that's what good drama is to begin with, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I don't know. It's 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 hard for me not to see it as a critical space. Um, And also, as we've discovered, an endangered space. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit as far as, you know, the the theater, the the arts in general in the schools are endangered. Uh, theater is often seen as a frivolous thing and uh, an extra thing a nice to have, but you know, who really needs it anyway, in a lot of those schools like music programs are the same. Um, what have, has following through and letting the students develop their own shows and, and, and create these things and even performing this show. Um, is there a change happening in how the administration is seeing these programs or is it still something that, that they're the program itself is having to justify?
1: That's such a variable thing. You <laughs> <know>. <laughs> um, I can answer yes and no to that question equally. Um, leadership matters in schools, of course, in terms of how the arts get positioned or get privileged or not. But, Just as you were asking that question, I was thinking about one of the current teachers that we work with in a Toronto high school. And this old idea of the show must go on was really always about other people. It was always about saving face or um, being, you know, the parents arriving on arts night and they'd have Mm. something worthwhile to see. <clears throat> or um, checking off particular boxes in a teacher's um, assessment of mm. or one's assessment of a teacher's work. But we work with a t- teacher now, and there are many, many, many like him who feel more accountable to the students in the room and who are very ready mm. to say to whoever might be looking on that his uh his commitment is to the st- the uh, safety and the safe exploration and the the following of curiosities of the people who sit in front of him, who sit with him in a circle. And I I do feel that more and more, those external pressures that you were speaking about weigh less and less upon the real work that is going on and in the end, students will have sit-ins outside a principal's office who wants to cut their drama class. That's common. Hmm. It's going to be the students who actually most vociferously defend the value of an education in the arts. And
2: hmm.
1: really, we've probably been wrongheaded when we've imagined that we need to appease others who perhaps hold the purse strings or uh, will get behind us in some institutional way. We know this from climate activists. We know this from young people in drama classrooms all over the world, uh, finding their own activist voice, hmm. possibly for the first time that they are the, the most important audience. And when you act as a teacher uh, in light of that most Critical discovery. I don't think a, a drama class can be at risk anymore hmm. because the most important spokespeople will not let it happen.
0: Hmm. Do you see the students who are exposed to activism in this way that that it, the, their activism is ignited and it moves forward with them? Is that something that that, that you're that, that's happening that that the activism itself continues through the theater and out of the theater?
1: Yes. I mean, I'm sure Andrew has thoughts on this, too, but 100 percent. And it moves back and forth between uh, the, the world and the classroom. And I think, you know, one of the great discoveries and why I continue to research inside a drama classroom is because that it's a screen door. It's not a wall. It's not the walls of a school. It's really air on the outside and the inside of the building, it's permeable and the best drama classrooms are wildly aware of that movement from a young person's life in the world outside of school and their life inside a school. And I find that more and more young people uh, want to not comp- compartmentalize in that way. They want mm. to not be read as a student in some two-dimensional way in one setting, and as a more rounded, engaged, active person in some outside setting that has no relevance in the school space. Hmm. So, you know, the drama, as Andrew said previously, their lives are the curriculum, and when that's taken really seriously, then everything that goes on outside the school um, matters deeply to what's going on inside the classroom. And then the reverse becomes true. And I think more and more, uh, all kinds of s- study of young people is resisting this idea that, and, and really the world doesn't let us compartmentalize in that way anymore because, and especially with COVID, because there, there is fluidity and there is such richness in, um, creating those, drawing those lines. Part of my research quite some time ago revealed that young people's engagement in school was correlated strongly with the ways in which they take care of others outside of school. So that meant that this idea of students as needing to be taken care of was in direct contrast to the very thing that makes them more engaged in school, which is their lives as Mm. caretakers of others. Mm. I think when I stumbled upon that first really significant understanding, I realized, well, the drama classroom in some ways has always been working to facilitate that. And maybe that's why it makes us better learners in life and in school Mm. because uh, caring is connected, to what many just see as academic performance.
0: Hmm. Andrew, what are your thoughts about uh, activism in the theater and out of it?
2: I, a few things come to mind. I, I think of, um, it turned out to be a bit of a provocation, but I'm thinking uh, around the the run of the play at Crow's Theater in, in 2019. I had said in an interview that I really think uh, Theater has the capacity to be a call to thought, and I remember in a and A somebody being troubled by that, and they thought, "Why not a call to action?" You know, and um, and so I'm turning over right now why I said a call to thought, and the extent to which we live in a really fast world, um, there's an overabundance of information. We don't often move that information into. Uh, clear action Mm. um and so i i'm reflecting on how the the theater space the drama classroom is an opportunity actually for us to slow down um to in a way not not um keep running with our own story around things but to let go of those stories and and make space for what people are actually telling us they need or want and so i'm connecting that idea the call to thought to indeed Instances that both Kathleen and I have witnessed uh, where when there is enough thought, when there is enough gestation and rehearsal, um, young people do cross over into the world and make appreciable change. And I think of that in the form of drama performances we saw in Athens that were uh, speaking in solidarity with the refugees, uh, you know, the, the refugee crisis in Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of in Coventry. We were there during Brexit. We were quite literally the we arrived the day before the Brexit result, and how those young people were using drama as a way to, in a way, put their community back together after this cataclysmic historic event. And then I'm thinking of India, and I'm thinking, you know, the Girls of Prayer now, which uh, Kathleen has this <coughs> longstanding relationship with. Uh, a school in Lucknow, India, and the critical feminist pedagogy there, and the drama class being almost every class. They use drama in every uh, subject, uh, a tool in every subject, a means in every subject. Um, The extent to which those girls are emerging from that program and uh, creating uh, extraordinary shifts within their families, within their communities, Um, I think there's a lot of crossover. I think, you know... um, I'm I'm very much persuaded by the fact that 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 space that could be a, you know we could perceive the drama classroom as being fundamentally about play, but it's consequential play, mm. you know it's it's got an impact on the world and um, in in the years of this study I, I I just I feel like there's an abundance of examples where a young person goes thank you thank you I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that <laughs> mm. mm-hmm.
1: yeah Andrew you're making me think of Taiwan as well and they were they were the oldest students in the study. They were in second year theater school in a university. And at the time that we were working with them, there was really critical LGBTQ plus legislation happening in Taiwan. And we got to sit in on incredible rehearsals where the young people there were taking stories of their peers and figuring out what they felt an audience needed to hear so they could be better advocates for themselves and for others uh, to think more progressively about LGBTQ policy in the nation. Hmm. There was such a direct link there that that playfulness and even, and this was true in India too, playing your oppressors. Mm. playing those pe- those very people who would, in the case of India, uh, because of the extraordinary patriarchy, hold those young women down, hold them back. And the mm. same in Taiwan, the young people who did not want to choose between their family with beloved traditions, cultural traditions, and their own identity, um, whether that was LGBTQ identity or or other ways of being in the world that didn't so easily line up with the traditions um, with which they were raised. And so the drama space really became, as Andrew said, a rehearsal for other possibilities that most certainly would be enacted in the world. They were trying on selves. They were taking the sting out of the oppressors in their lives by playing them gleefully and with gusto because they wanted to affectively understand literally what they were up against in some cases. So these artificial lines drawn around, um, the activist in one's life and the activist in a rehearsal space, um, as Andrew said, countless examples where those divisions just made no sense at all.
0: Hmm. I'm curious about, um, just to switch gears a little bit about the, the two of you and how, how you came together on this project.
1: Do you want to tell it, it? Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> Phil, well, we, we, we both love this question and we, <laughs> we played with this answer so often. Um, I, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. I think he should say something.
2: Well, I'm I'm sure the baton the baton will get passed at certain at a certain point. Um, Definitely. Uh, we met around uh, well, it I mean it's it was serendipitous and it was also inevitable um, because uh, the middle place, which was my first verbatim play, and and it was uh, created from interviews done in the youth shelter system here in Toronto, was touring high schools in the TDSB, the Toronto District School Board. And uh, we happened to be performing at uh, a site that Kathleen was uh, working at. So it was a a research site for her. And um, it was workshop first, right, Kathleen?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: so uh, Antonio and I. So Antonio is one of the, the, the original founders of Project Humanity, the socially engaged theater company that I run. And uh, Antonio and I uh, came to this classroom and uh, with these ethnographic researchers in the space and this really extraordinary teacher and extraordinary group of young people. And we, in essence, uh, initiated them in this notion of, or at least our, our verbatim theater practice uh, as a kind of precursor to them seeing the show. And uh, I think Kathleen and I had a brief exchange, um, you know, in that space, um, again, totally unfamiliar to me, the notion of researchers being in a, in a classroom and yet also observing this real ease between the adults and the young people in the room. And then, uh, I believe it would have been a week later we came and performed the show. And, um, and so, you know, Kathleen could speak to her experience of it, but what I remember vividly, and I kind of feel like it's that it was sort of the spark was, um, afterwards, Kathleen and I having a confab, um, you know, this after seeing a bunch of students rush the stage, wanting to connect with the actors who had just performed the play. And um, and just sensing this kinship, this kind of shared, you know, uh, we've gone about it differently. And in fact, we play with this hyphenate, the idea of, you know, who is the artist researcher and who's the researcher artist. And, uh, and in fact, you know, again, troubling the notion that one is was, is just artist or just researcher. I think in one another, we saw this this gorgeous overlap. And this, um, you know, shared uh, commitment to young people, you know, seeing young people as full persons, not just people in transit to adulthood and wanting to honor those voices, wanting to create, in, you know, engaging experiences for them that, that don't um, live in stereotype or uh, misrepresent them in ways that are, are you know, avoidable. And, uh, and so th- there was just sort of a conversation that, that sparked in that room that eventually led to me doing a tour of Kathleen's data. And so she, that research project she was working on, she wondered if there was something there, uh, the makings of a play perhaps. Uh, and I guess I could say the rest is history. I mean, Towards Youth in essence was born of that question. Is there something in this research? Do you see something in this research? Uh, a question that I think Kathleen posed with a lot of humility and understanding that plays are complicated and not all research can be a play. Mm -hmm. Um, But together we found a way and, um, and traveled the world doing it. Um, Kathleen, what's your take? Did I miss any?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you, you hit all the key revelations for us, Andrew, but I would just add that after Uh, Once Andrew and I started to engage in our thoughts about young people, our thoughts about theater, our thoughts about those two things together, and he looked at my data and said that there's definitely a play here. Then when I moved forward with a new research project, I wanted Andrew to be embedded as an artist inside the research. Why, Why wouldn't we be? representing the research ultimately in the language of theater, if theater had been so responsible for our ways of seeing what, why, how could, how could we not make theater a critical expression of all that we were learning by doing theater with young people in these unique spaces. And so right from the get go, then, when we imagined this new project, um, we, we centered Andrew as the embedded artist who would be in conversation over the whole long five plus years. Um, and in a funny sort of way, that meant that the researchers also became objects of study for Andrew. That in a sense, the research itself became something to look at by a playwright. Hmm. So it really started to flip all kinds of traditional notions about theatre, about research, about um, adults and young people and intergenerational engagement, about intra, inter- and intracultural engagement in complex classrooms in Toronto and in other places around the world. And um, there began a very, very long, still enduring conversation about... Mm. How to see um, the not just the value but the 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 criticality of of these spaces in times where you know social crisis is now the new normal
2: Mm.
1: and uh, in the last study it seemed almost Andrew mentioned Brexit it seemed almost. odd, strange, increasingly unusual that we kept showing up at places when there were serious social um, crises or breakdowns or polarized ways of being that were surfacing right at that moment. And then at a certain point, I said to myself, there isn't a time that isn't in some way a crisis Mm. now. Mm. And so, What in in that broader context, if I'm interested in the idea of especially youth citizenship, citizenship itself, but especially young people as growing engaged citizens in the world, if that's of concern to me in these times, then we need a lot of people in that conversation. We need the artists, we need the social scientists, we need the humanists, we need the service Uh, people, the facilitators, we need the voices of young people and they need to not only be cared for, but need to do the caring as well. And we need to sometimes keep very quiet as adults who have tended to think that they've lived past that time. And so we know it. (laughs) Mm. We don't know it in their terms. We don't. We have to be listeners. That's why that's key to the subtitle of this book, listening as a political alternative, Mm. because that's what you you soon realize. And so Andrew and I have just not only enjoyed listening to each other and our ways in the world for a long time, but to be a team with others to listen in new ways in spaces that we think are really key to weathering the storms and also to making, um, oh, how, how can I say this without being completely trite? Um, making the idea of new possibilities uh, a reality, um, not just for young people, but for those of us who are so ready to turn it over, as you said at the beginning of this, for young people to fix the mess we've made. Hmm. Now, we're, we're not going to do it that way. We have to do it in relationship. We have to uh, quiet our, our our own voices so that we can hear and we have to speak up when it's uncomfortable to do so when we don't necessarily know what the right answers are when we don't have the answers ourselves we have to as as andrew quoted dorothy heathcott we have to be in that mess together mm. and I, I can't think of anyone i'd i'd rather be in the mess with than andrew so i i think we i think this is going to be a long term engagement with mm-hmm. lots of twists and turns in the road
2: yeah. The feeling is um, mutual.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the things that, that I'm always fascinated by is the road that somebody takes to to focus their life on theater, whether it is as uh, a, uh, somebody who's who's uh, actor, playwright, director, as Andrew is, or uh, in an academic uh, fashion like 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 Kathleen. So I'm curious for each of you. I'll start with Andrew. What is your theater origin story? What, what first grabbed you and set you on the road to here?
2: It's, it's, a, word, uh, it's a word I used earlier. It's the word consequence. And, um, and it was a performance in high school. I went to an all-boy Jesuit high school. We didn't have a drama class. We didn't have a drama teacher. But we had a dramatic society, which sounds very dramatic. Um, but, but it was actually, it was, it was, um, it was, you know, a bit goofy. I mean, it was, it was us gathering and putting on a show and the pleasure of that, of course, but not necessarily structured, um, and not necessarily the stuff of, you know, um, absorbing, uh, tools or ways of working. Uh, but I do remember in a high school production, a prop, uh, breaking down on stage. It was a candle, actually, that, that broke in half. I was playing Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And uh, it was this moment of, of, you know, in the blink of an eye, a, a problem, uh, uh, an unexpected problem on stage. And I made a choice. And to, the, to my best recollection, I started cackling with laughter. It was at a point in the play where Scrooge had stopped caring about money. And I just started to sort of... Burst with joy at the notion of of losing this candle and it not mattering that life was bigger than a candle, and I remember the tension in the room as I was you know calculating my next move, and then I remember the relief in the space when I made a choice, and for some reason it's it was just a really I got infected I got infected in that moment with the notion that I as a young person was of consequence to the world. I could do something that could move people in some direction, an unexpected direction. And, um, and I think that that was kind of, a you know, it's like a little bit of a snowball that turned into a big snowball that turned into an avalanche. And, and I've been more and more invested and curious about how do we embrace the art space as a consequential space? How do we as artists do things in the world that have reverberations, that help people feel into things? Hard things, um, things that we want to maybe disengage from or disassociate from. How is the artist actually somebody who is a connector and a messenger um, between between entities between people? And so it was such a silly little moment, but I, I always look back on it as the bug. That's when the bug really bit me hard, and uh, and I couldn't shake it thereafter. You know, for for all the sort of vocations i was considering that it, it it all felt hollow to this thought of oh wow as an artist i may be able to actually make a big wave with the choice i make in a moment of uncertainty um so yeah i'd say that was the that was the onset
0: those moments when something unexpected happens like that those are <clears throat> the potential for magic it's as simple as dropping a pen on the floor mm-hmm. and. Because your blocking doesn't include it, <laughs> ignoring the pen that you've dropped on the floor and the audience being able to do nothing except stare at the pen on the floor <laughs> and yeah. wonder why nobody is picking it up. And they will increasingly like that tension that you mentioned, they will get more and more tense until somebody finally just picks up the pen and they'll suddenly like be able to concentrate on the show again. But that there's magic in those moments that, that yeah. they're offerings for us to to accept the moment or ignore it
2: it's landing the plane right it's that yes. tension you know it's that bumpy landing i've been on prop planes recently and i just you know uh don't get me started but it's that moment mm-hmm. you do want to you <laughs> break out into applause when the tension is released and um and that's that is what theater is about. It's it's about that tension and, and about letting that tension go. And that's what catharsis is. It's about building up that tension and then letting it go. Mm. And that practice, I think, that elasticity that the theater engenders in us, it just makes us better human beings. I mean, it lets us stretch our minds. Even if we think about how do I reconcile somebody else's ideology or somebody who thinks wildly differently than me, the fact that in the theater we can move towards and away from folks that are so different that makes us better citizens it makes us more compassionate it makes mm. us more you know just uh just better partners better parents better kids um you know going back to that notion of the drama classroom just providing these sort of soft skills that you know uh i i can't advocate enough for the fact that it, it just makes us better human beings it just mm. puts us in better relationship with one another And uh, and again, to be a messenger, to be an an agent in that mission, which I think artists are, is uh, addictive. It's satisfying. Um, Yeah, there was it was a little bit of uh, there was no looking back from that for me.
0: I don't blame you because there's that you know. That moment where something goes wrong on stage, and if the audience can see it, it's one thing if only the actors know that somebody flubbed the line, but like if something visibly happens for everybody on stage and off, it is a realization that, oh yeah, this isn't a movie, Absolutely. stuff can go wrong it this can be different every time, yeah, which is a exciting thing to 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 witness and to have that realization of
2: yeah. And it can't be perfect. It can never be perfect, which is, is the, you know, it's torture for the artist, but it's also, Mm -hmm. it's, it's (laughs) such a gorgeous parallel to life. Yeah. And, uh, and it allows us to fight the perfectionism that again, our capitalist system is constantly calling out for, and our classrooms Mm -hmm. often can call out for, Mm -hmm. and drama is the antidote. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, if it's a drama class, how do you, what's the difference between an A actor and a B actor? What's the... What are you doing there? Yeah,
2: (laughs) I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad I don't have to mark drama drama scenes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen, what was what's what is your origin story of your interest to theater? Oh,
1: I love this question. I'm still dwelling in Andrew's beautiful response. (laughs) Oh well, mine, of course, begins with Tennessee Williams in a way. Uh, Hmm. I want to draw a line between being six being a teenager, being a drama teacher, and being a theater researcher. Um, Really a trajectory that has been riding a a wave that I think you both might recognize. Um, I'm the youngest of five children. And when I was six, I had a one sister who was 16 and who was drama mad. She was in high school theater arts and was passionate about it. And so I was her audience. She practiced monologues in her bedroom with me as her audience of one, and she would light a candle and don a costume. And I would be mesmerized with my big sister who would be Tennessee Williams streetcar named desire. There she was right in front of me, words I didn't even understand. And That's that was my experience of theater. I didn't actually go to professional theater, but I had that really intimate experience with my sister. And then, of course, when I went on to high school, I followed in her footsteps, and I also was a drama nerd and I loved, deeply loved my drama class. And I had a drama high school teacher who was really demanding. It was a really, really demanding. Course, it was the opposite of people's expectation of, uh, drama in high school, even though it Hmm. was way back in the (laughs) eighties. And, um, and I worked hard and I felt a great, great achievement when I accomplished things. And I felt like I was let in on a secret that drama was fun, but it was also really consequential to use, to use Andrew's term that it mattered she made it matter. And I, and that was really aligned with how I already felt. Hmm. So then of course, naturally I become a drama teacher and I spent 10 years being a drama teacher in a high school classroom. And they were hands down the best professional years of my life. Um, I loved it so deeply and became a different person doing it. And while I was doing it, um, I started to have those big questions occur to me, like, what is going on here? Why is this, what are these relationships about? Why is this mattering so much? And in my case, I was teaching in a, a girl's school, a Catholic girl's school. You know, what is going on for these young women that seems so important? And so that at that point I said, I don't think I'm going to sort this out myself. So I, I want to go back to school. I want to make this drama classroom my laboratory and I want to do a PhD and I want to figure out, I want to ask these questions that I care about, about the social world. And I was deeply caring about gender questions of gender at that time and its relationship to theater. Why this has, why this space continues to be a space of proliferation of ideas and, and in, intense emotions and all of the things that I loved and cared about. And so I went back to school and I I did, I made a study of my own drama classroom and I spent time learning the skills of a social scientist and applying them to my practice as a teacher and to the young people I was engaging with. And, um, at the end of all of that, uh, there the, the obvious outcome for me was to continue to work as a researcher. And I felt really mournful about leaving the classroom. So, of course, I had to create an entire life that would get me back in those drama classrooms for the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and um to my amazement, I have managed to do that. And I have not regretted one moment because I I relive my own sense of possibility And I see it unfolding with other people and I like being in the mess and I like being with the challenge. And I think brave conversations happen. And I think I, I'm a better researcher because of, of where I apply that work. And I I guess I'm doing what Andrew's doing. I'm, I'm continuing to both be amazed and be determined that the world understand, um, what is going on in these negligible spaces that is so consequential to lives and how we live them with other people and how we see the world? So lucky me is all I can say. Lucky me that mm. I could draw that line and keep, keep the drama classroom as a, as the heartbeat of whatever I was doing and to keep being a student of it because there is much to learn. There is more to learn. And and so it goes.
2: Hmm.
0: Kathleen, Andrew, thank you so much for, for having this conversation and, and the work that you're doing and, and the book itself. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank Phil. Thank you,
1: Phil. Thanks for the conversation.
0: This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is a one-person operation, and that one person is me. So not only do I arrange the guests and conduct the interviews, I also edit the show, promote it, and create the music. I also shoulder all the financial responsibilities that keep this show going while still giving it to you for free. So if you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting it. There are a few ways that you can do that. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people to find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And you can also leave a tip for the show by dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. I will put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the website or in your podcast app. But one of the most important things that you can do, even more important than ratings, reviews, or even financial support is to share on social media. Even a retweet will help. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at stageworthypod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthypodcast.com. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode.